Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Hey, church feels a little different today, doesn't it? It's good. It's good. Welcome back. If you were here last week, you know that we're in the middle uh, of a series called Chasing Ghosts. Today is the end of the series. And uh, the whole premise of this sermon series has been how uh, the world really teaches us to chase after things that ultimately don't really lead to fulfillment. We've talked about uh, chasing popularity, uh, chasing after money. Last week, we talked about chasing approval or people liking us. And um, I've gotten really good feedback from some of you on this series. And when I think about good feedback, it goes something like this. Um, Hey, pastor, that one hurt. Uh, Or, hey, that one hit me in the heart. Uh, I've gotten feedback from some of our small groups that the discussion has been very eye-opening and uh, very convicting. And I want you to know that that's my job as a pastor, by the way. Uh, my, My goal is not to get up here and tell you things that you like to hear. So uh, when, I, when I study scripture, when I go through the New Testament specifically, and I see the teachings of Jesus and what it says to me, uh, it ruffles my feathers. And so I want you to know I don't deliver anything from this platform that first hasn't hit me in a hard way. So today what I want to do is talk about um, really the ghost of comfort and how we chase after comfort. Now, how many of y'all like to be comfortable? Just throw your hand up real quick. Yeah, you're thankful that we have those chairs that you're sitting in. Uh, if you grew up on pews, you know what I'm talking about. Although the pew game was really good for like arm around the girl, right? It was perfect. But uh, these are a whole lot more comfortable. Our world is obsessed with comfort and being comfortable. Uh, let me give you an example. There's a couple pictures I want you to look at when it comes to physical comfort. This uh, little car seat right here, actually buggy seat that you're going to see behind me. Um, I never put my kids in that. Now, Ashley was at the first service and she was like, yes, we did, babe. And she may have, but I'm telling you, when I made a run to Home Depot or Target, my kids sat on that metal mesh and it put a little waffle impression on their diaper, right? It just wasn't that, that comfortable. And I know for a fact, growing up, I was just thrown into the big part of the buggy. I didn't even have that little top part. I just sat in the, in the, in the lower end. Uh, or how about a body pillow? Anybody got a body, body pillow in the room? Okay, some of y'all do. They're pretty expensive, like the full-size body ones, but people will pay a lot of money for them, Right? I might just hold like another pillow like under my arm, but this fits your whole body. They advertisement for like pregnant women and stuff. Um, it's good for anybody that's got a belly. Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, <laughs> a third, third, third picture here is a Snuggie. We got any Snuggie people in the house? Because how uncomfortable would it be for you to be under a blanket and have to reach out for a remote or, or something to drink, right? So you just, you just put this thing on. If you don't have a Snuggie, y'all, this is a great like, uh, the gift exchanges you do at office Christmas time, get people somebody a Snuggie, they will love it. It's, it's something that people love. Last thing is this. This is a Mercedes S-Class um, with a recliner in the back seat. Yep. If you're here and you have one, you need to tithe more now. Like, just start today. I was like, I, I saw this, because it's like the 2021, it's got the recliner in the back seat. I'm like, anybody that needs a recliner in the back seat, you can fly to wherever you're going if the car trip is that long, right? It's, it's crazy what people will pay for physical comfort. And it's everywhere. We know this, y'all. We know that comfort is advertised and it's like, hey, 
People will pay more. Why? Because why would we want to be inconvenienced by things when we can just have the luxury life? So physical comfort is pushed all around us. I, I want to submit to you that emotional comfort is pushed just as strongly. You go, what do you mean emotional comfort? Well, the fact that I don't want anybody hurting my feelings and my feelings are justified and they matter. So if you offend me, guess what? I'm canceling you. Y'all tracking with me? Um, I've coached youth recreational sports for several years. In fact, I think I'm an expert at this point in my life because I've coached so many of my kids' teams. And a couple years ago, I coached a youth uh, football team. And, you know, we had like a pretty good season. We were like five and three, you know, three losses. And at the end of the season, one of the moms, and I'm not criticizing females by any means, but one of the moms was like, hey, we should get trophies for the kids. Now, when I was growing up, you had to win something to get a trophy, all right? Stay with me. I know I've already offended some of you, and that's okay. Like I said, I'm trying to make you uncomfortable today. But growing up, if, if, if you won the championship, you got a trophy. If you didn't win, guess what? You weren't the champion. I, I look back at, at, this, at this mom, and I was like, no, we, we actually, you know, we barely finished 500. Um, we're not even 500 on the season, so we're not going to do trophies. And you would have thought I ripped her little boy's heart out. I had a coach. His name was Coach Beatty. Coached me in uh, baseball, Dixie Youth Baseball in Somerville. And I remember being 11 years old, and, and maybe this is what marked me, and I'm just taking it out on every other kid that I ever coached the rest of my life. But when I was 11 years old, we, we, had a, we were playing baseball. We did great on the season. We made it to the championship game. And the whole time we're playing this championship game, in the dugout at the end of the bench was a box. And it was a box of big old gold trophies. They were brass, but we thought they were gold. And we could see him, and we're like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to get a trophy, you know, because you want to show it off, put it in your room, let everybody see it. And so we play the game, played my heart out. I'm at third base. We end up losing the game. And afterwards, we rally up outside the dugout, and I could tell Coach Beatty was upset. He let you know when he was upset. He was about 60 years old. And he tells us after the game, y'all, this box of trophies is sitting right there. And he said, boys, we didn't win the big one, but it's been a good season. And I want you to know, we went home without a trophy that day. Y'all, they were in the box. Like, the only thing worse than not getting a trophy is seeing it and not getting it. You follow me? We went home, and I'm like, man, I'm a loser. Like, <laughs> I don't. Now, eventually, he gave them to us at our team party. I don't know if he forgot or if he was just trying to make a point. But I grew up in a generation where if you didn't win, you didn't get a trophy or a medal or a pat on the back or whatever. You just didn't win. Now, let me help. I want us to understand how this is affecting an entire generation. I think we've raised up. And I'm going to make some, some of y'all that are like 20, 25, 30. I'm going to show my age a little bit. But I, I think we're raising up a generation or generations that don't know how to deal with disappointment. That don't know how to deal with discouragement. That don't know how to deal with not getting their way, whether physically or emotionally. And I would even say spiritually it's crept into the church. Where from a faith standpoint, we've adopted this mentality that, hey, I'll be a Christian so long as I agree with everything going on around me. Or, hey, I'll follow Jesus so long as what Jesus teaches doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Where when life gets hard, that, okay, for instance, if you work a job and you get in a full-time job and you're 40, 50 hours a week, the job starts to get hard or difficult, maybe your supervisor or boss is a little more tough than you're liking, society would say, quit, go find another job. Or maybe you get into a marriage, 
right? Marriage gets hard and you're sacrificing for your spouse or you're having to be more selfless and you don't get as much freedoms as you once had. Life gets tough and uncomfortable. Society says, well, guess what? Get out. Go find yourself another marriage. Or we'll go to church. Church starts to preach something a little uncomfortable. Starts to actually preach the Bible and talk about what Jesus says. And you go, I don't really like that. That hit me the wrong way. Go find another church. Go find a church that's inclusive of what you feel or believe, even if it's not even scriptural. That's the society that we live in right now. And so from a Christianity standpoint, what I want us to see is that I believe we've adopted or we've somehow drifted into this mentality at times where I'll be a Christian so long as I'm not uncomfortable. Because if I'm uncomfortable, something must be wrong. Here's what Jesus taught about comfort. And I, I'm just going to go through these scriptures because it's very counter to anything um, that maybe we experience today. And listen, I've already said in this series, if you're new here, let me catch you up. I've already said in this series, I'm not, I'm not trying to promote uh, this idea that you can't have a car or you can't have a house or you can't have a 401k by any means. Like this is not an anti-wealth. This is not me encouraging you, hey, to take a vow of poverty, sell everything and, and walk the interstate with a cross. I've already said that. But what I do want us to understand is that some of our mentalities, some of our belief systems, they aren't biblical. And they promote this idea that I will be a Christian, I'll sign up for this journey, so long as it doesn't cost me anything, so long as it doesn't offend anybody or me. And I believe those are the very things that in some ways have made us ineffective. This, we're going. Here's what Jesus said. And these are all uh, scriptures from the message translation because I feel like the message translation with these verses made him hit a little more as far as like truth. Matthew chapter 24, verse nine, this is what Jesus said. He's talking to his disciples, by the way. These are men and women who are listening, who have left their jobs, left their careers, latched onto someone who claimed to be the Messiah, right? So they're like, hey, we're following somebody who's the son of God, he's the Messiah. Jesus says this to him. He says, look, they, and he's talking about the world, they're gonna throw you to the wolves and kill you. Everyone hating you because you carry my name. Jesus says, look, if you wanna be a Christian, a little Christ, and follow me, they're gonna throw you to the wolves and they're gonna kill you just because you're carrying my name. Do you know how unpopular a teaching that is today? If I were to say to you, hey, look, come to VIP night tonight, there's a really good chance you're gonna get killed and everyone's gonna hate you. We would have leftovers, Right? Because it's uncomfortable. It's like, wait, it's going to cost me something? Like, people aren't going to like me if I stand on these beliefs? Or let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul tells Timothy, and he's talking to the church, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's just no getting around it. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. And as long as they're out there, things will only get worse. Paul says, look, the faith that you've latched onto the movement of the early church. There's going to be people that come in, try to corrupt this thing. It's going to get really hard. Guess what? It's only going to get worse. It's very counter to some of the teaching that we see today of your best life now. Would you agree? Like, hey, you live your best life. Like the best is yet to come. Some of these phrases and we're like, yeah, but it's not true. Or how about this one in 1 John 3, 13? So don't be surprised, friends, when the world hates you. This has been going on for a long time. John, who was Jesus' best friend, looks at the church 
It's been uh, established for several decades. And he looks at the church and he says, look, we've been hated for a long time. Like if, if you want the world to like you, if you want a secular culture to love you, don't latch on to the Christian faith because it means you're latching on to some convictions that are gonna be offensive to a world that doesn't believe it. Acts chapter five, verse 41. This is the early church. They called the apostles back in. And after giving them a thorough whipping, they warned them not to speak again in Jesus' name and they sent them back off. So the apostles went out of the high council overjoyed because they'd been given the honor of being dishonored on account of Jesus. In other words, the apostles get beat and then sent out and they're like, thank you so much, God, for letting us get beaten and embarrassed for your name. This is amazing. Thanks for letting us suffer for your name. This is unheard of today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said this to his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. So don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. I think in parts of the world where physical persecution takes place or physical suffering takes place, in some ways, it's easier to be a Christian. Here's why. I, I, think, I think cultural Christianity, which is what we live in here in America, specifically in the Southeast, I think cultural Christianity, we have to really start defining what suffering and persecution is, right? Because here's it, no one's really coming to you saying, um, look, you need to sell your house and sell your car. No one's come to the church yet from the government like, hey, we're gonna shut you down. That stuff's not really happening. But persecution and suffering today may look like this. You stand on a conviction or a belief and someone cancels you out for what you believe. Or, or maybe you stand on some kind of conviction in following Jesus and you're kept out of a room or you're kept off of a board or you're kept off of a team, right? Like emotional persecution is a lot different than physical persecution. I remember uh, when I started following Jesus, started taking my faith seriously in college. There were some true cost to following Jesus. It was uncomfortable. For instance, I was a very selfish 21-year-old man. And for the first time in my life, I realized, okay, wait a minute. I don't get to live doing just what I want to do. I have to consider others, what, better than myself? I'm not considering anybody. This is about me. Oh, wait, I, gotta, I have to go serve somebody that can't really provide anything for me in return? That's cr- Why would I do that? That's the Christian life. Okay, I'm, I'm working a full-time or a part-time job trying to get through college and I'm supposed to tithe some of what I'm making to the church? Like, I'm not gonna, why would I give my money to the church? You offended me and I'm supposed to forgive you? No, I'm not forgiving anybody. Like, you hated me, I hate you. Christianity teaches you forgive, even though you've been offended. I want us to understand that we follow Jesus not, not out of comfort and not even for comfort, but out of conviction. It's convictions of who he is and what he stands for and what he taught. And if we're gonna latch onto this thing called Christianity, we can't be chasing this idea of comfort, whether it's physical or emotional or even spiritual, because it's definitely gonna lead us astray. You know, I want you to hear me say that most, I think one of the most uncomfortable things that you can ever do is make a decision to follow Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. 
If at some point in your life you made a decision to follow Jesus and get baptized and you haven't experienced discomfort in any way, something's wrong. Like I think about working out, right? Could you imagine going to the gym and, and saying, you know, my, my goal in going to the gym today is to be comfortable. So I'm, a go, I'm, I'm going, I need a nice outfit, make sure I, you know, drink my pregame or my pre-workout shake. And then I go into the gym and since the goal is comfortable, I'm just going to lay on one of those back roller things or use that uh, ab, the core, the big ball, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all, it's not a beach ball. You're supposed to do like core exercises on that. But, you know, I'm just going to lay on that while I'm at the gym and I'm going to expect growth to come from being comfortable at the gym. We all know that's absurd, right? Because the way you get stronger, the way you grow is by making yourself uncomfortable, discomfort, stretching your muscles, tearing your muscles so they rebuild, right? I think about uh, pregnancy or having children, though I've never had any myself. Thank you, Jesus, we were not assigned to deliver babies as men, right? But if you've ever lived with someone who's pregnant, if you've ever experienced the process of childbirth, it's uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me watching. I can't even imagine what Ashley went through. But that's how growth takes place. You don't get growth without discomfort. Spiritually, it's the same thing. Y'all, if we give our lives to Jesus and we get into the scriptures, we're going to hit some uncomfortable stuff. And we've got to be willing to navigate through it and grow through it. We cannot choose to just avoid it because it makes us feel good. And I would submit to you, we can't live in a world or a culture that encourages us not to navigate through it or not to grow, right? Because it makes them uncomfortable. There's, there's two predominant mindsets. Because again, on the physically and emotionally, we can kind of deal with it and go, yeah, I understand. We don't need to be so comfortable there. But I think there's two mindsets that, that somehow get into our thinking, that shape our Christianity, that are just absolutely wrong. And these are, um, I would say, popular mentalities, popular mindsets that have crept into the church and Christianity. And today, I just want to correct them. And I told you on the, on, the, on the front end, this might make some of you uncomfortable. Some of you may have posted some of these statements, shared some of these statements, even follow people that would embrace some of these statements. And my goal right now is not to be critical toward other Christians, but my goal is to point us to the scriptures and elevate the gospel. There's two statements, two beliefs, two mindsets, I think, that need to be corrected that are shared in in an effort to make us feel comfortable in our faith, but they're actually just wrong. And the first one is this, and you've all heard it, and it's the statement that you are enough. You are are enough. It goes something like this. Um, hey mom, you know, you're a young mom. You got one, maybe two kids. You're working a full-time job. You're trying to help run a household as well. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed. You're anxious. Hey girl, you're enough. And, and you're enough just as you are. And it's like, yeah, I'm enough, right? Like it's, it's, it's a motivational statement that may make you feel good for a season, but the problem is you know it's not true. I think about that as a, as a pastor and as a leader and as a husband and as a dad and as a friend, right? Like life can get very overwhelming at times, a lot on the calendar, a lot of responsibility, feeling like we gotta uh, fulfill every single role. And there's times where I just get bogged down by the pressure or the stress of it all. But there's a mentality out there and it's even pushed by some Christians like, hey, you got what it takes, you're enough. And it's like, yeah, I'm enough, right? 
But deep down, I know, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm struggling. And in those moments, what I don't need and you don't need is somebody going, no, 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 you're good. You're enough the way you are. Keep doing your thing. You be you, right? Because the problem is we all know that doesn't work. Y'all, if it worked, anxiety wouldn't be at an all-time high. Depression wouldn't be at an all-time high. Stress wouldn't be at an all-time high. We all know it's not working. The problem with this mentality, you are enough, is that it can easily cause you to just set your sin aside. Track with me for a second. Like for me, it's like, I got this, right? I can lead and serve this church. I can lead our team. I can lead our house. I can work harder. I can do more. Y'all, that's pride. And so when you speak in thinking you're doing something good, hey, you're enough, pastor. What you're ultimately saying unintentionally is, hey, don't address the pride that's got you to the place where you're drowning. And it's easy to excuse sin, right? Or for the, for the person who's, you know, constantly late. I'm just going to pick on people that are late because it's 11 o'clock service and some of y'all stumble in here late. Can I do it? Okay, don't point fingers. For the, for the person that's just habitually late, right? You're late to work, late to church, you're late to your kid's ball game, you're late to practice, and it's like, oh, I'm just late all the time. It's like, no, no, you don't need somebody looking at you going, no, you're enough. You keep doing it. You need somebody going, hey, look, like, let your yes be yes. Get up earlier, show up on time. Stop setting the bar so low for yourself, Right? And y'all are like, man, this is hard. I know it's uncomfortable. But we only need someone, someone championing, you know, your inability to uphold a commitment. And when I think about life, so many times what we do is we say things that make us feel really comfortable, but they're not actually true at all. And, and this mentality, it definitely messes us up in the church. Here's the main reason why. When someone looks at you and says, you're enough, what they're ultimately saying is, you are good without the gospel. Right? Because if I'm good enough, I don't need Jesus. If I'm good enough as a, as a husband and as a dad and as a leader to where when things get tough, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough in and of myself, then I don't actually need Jesus, right? That's dangerous. What I need is somebody going, hey, look, I know you're overwhelmed and I know you're struggling and I know you're stressful, but look, take all your cares and cast them on the Lord because he cares for you, right? Hey, maybe submit your agenda, Brandon. Maybe submit your agenda and your calendar and your priorities to the Lord and see which ones are more for you than they are for him. Right? Maybe, maybe to that, to that young mom or that young, uh, dad or to that new husband, right? Or to that fiance. Maybe the question isn't, hey, you're good. You do you. You got what it takes. You're good enough. Maybe the question is, hey, why are you going through this difficult season? And how is it shaping you more into the likeness of Jesus? That's the questions we need to be asking. But for the sake of comfort and convenience and trying to appease everybody, we stop short of saying the thing that actually needs to be said. Now hear me on this. You're not enough. Jesus is enough, we can share that truth without being jerks, okay? What I don't need anybody here doing or anybody listening online doing is going to an Instagram post and being like, that's false. Don't, don't do that, okay? <laughs> these, these aren't things for you to go and post. What it is, what I am hoping that you'll do is, is take this teaching and let it shape your mindset and mentality when you do see things like that. Because there is this progressive thought that teaches you're enough just like you are. First, or John 1.16 says this, that from his fullness, this is Jesus, from Jesus' fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Y'all, there's gonna be times, and maybe some of you are in them right now, where you know and you feel it, man, I don't have what it takes 
I'm not good enough. I'm struggling. I'm falling short. Surround yourself with people that go, yeah, guess what? It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. You need to get right in front of Jesus, take yourself to the foot of the cross, press into him, figure out what he's trying to teach you, go to his word, go in prayer, right? Like that's what we're trying to teach here. Not hey, you're good enough just like you are. Jesus is enough. Second truth is this. Second, I'm sorry, the second statement needs to be corrected is this. And you've heard it too. Just live your truth. Got some mmms because y'all have heard it. Just live your truth. Live your truth. Whatever's true to you, live it. You be you, right? And so we've, we've got this, and it's not, listen, this is not just in the culture because I know right now some of you are like, Yep, that's what culture's teaching. That's what this generation's embracing. That's what society says. Listen, it's infiltrated the church too, okay? It's not just out there. The the church always in some ways reflects the culture in which we exist, whether we wanna like it or not, because we're part of the culture and it bleeds into here. But this reality or this, this statement, just live your truth, I want us to see it's impossible and it's damaging because our truths contradicts each other at times. Let me give you an example. I was out with some friends Friday night and uh, Dylan and Kayla, Parham, they got a son, Levi, he's two. And I got permission from them after the first service. They were in the first service and I said, hey, I didn't share his name. They're like, well, you can share his name. We don't even care. Cool. Levi Parham, he's two years old. And uh, they said, he, you know, he went to school and they got, a, they got a, a call from his teacher at school. And teacher was like, hey, we're having a problem with, with Levi. And Kayla was like, I, you know, what's the problem? You know, I'm sorry. And well, here's the problem. He's beating on this kid because he's saying he's the Hulk. And she's like, good night. You know, could you imagine that little two-year-old going to school and she's like, "Mm -mm, Hulk smash, you know, like that's what Levi's doing. And so the teacher's like, look, I need some help. Like, we don't know what to do here. And Kayla's like, you know, she picks up, you know, Levi brings him home. It's like, Levi, look, like, I know you love the Hulk. Like, I know you want to be like the Hulk, but you are not the Hulk. You can't just go beating kids at school. And he's like, I am the Hulk, you know? (laughs) Could you imagine, could you imagine Dylan and Kayla looking at their two-year-old son and being like, son, if you want to be the Hulk, you can be the Hulk. That's your truth. You live it out. Now, listen, we all laugh at that. But can I just submit to you, we've, we've got a generation in a society that's rising up that's doing the exact same thing. Problem is, it doesn't look as evident as a whipping up on a two-year-old. We've got a society going, that, that's what you believe to be true? You just live your truth. And it's a mentality that's damaging. It's damaging people. It's damaging our churches, it's damaging our schools, and it's damaging an entire generation. Here's why, because the most unloving thing that the Parhams could have done in that situation is endorse the behavior and belief of their kid. Because the absolute truth is you are not the Hulk, you are a two-year-old boy, right? You can't act that way. What happens if we embrace this idea that your truth is right and your truth is right and your truth is right? Y'all know we can't all be right. I think about college when I was at the College of Charleston. I was terrible in the sciences, but at first I wanted to be a physical therapist. I'm in biology 201. And I remember thinking, you know, what, what if I got an exam and it's all these questions and I answer a question wrong, but I think it's right. 
Imagine, if you will, me walking up to the professor after the grade comes back and saying, look, I know, I know you corrected this answer, but that's my truth. It's right. It's absurd, right? There's, there's an answer to the question. It's absolute. But what we're doing is promoting a society where there is no absolute truth. And so your truth may be different from my truth, may be different from their truth. And the problem is when we put all these pronouns in front of truth, truth becomes very, very, very small. And, and the fact is we all need to be living for a truth that's much bigger than any single one of us. Jesus said this in John 14, six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You realize how exclusive that statement is? Y'all, in a society where inclusivity is elevated as the most important thing, we've latched onto a faith and we're following a Jesus who was very exclusive when he determined what truth was. And I know this isn't popular teaching, but what I want us to feel is this uncomfort with the fact or discomfort with the fact that if we're going to be people who follow Jesus out of conviction and not comfort, we have to stand on the truth that he said that he was. We don't get the privilege of going, I really, I like that Jesus said that about the poor. And I love that Jesus said that about helping the widows and orphans. And I love that Jesus said that. I don't really like that he put that part in there. So I'm just going to cut that out. Because then what we end up doing is we amputate Jesus, right? And we go, I want this piece and this piece and this piece. But what we end up doing is watering down the gospel to where it's not even good news anymore. Here's the good news of absolute truth. When you embrace absolute truth, which is God's word, here's what it means. It means that Jesus is no longer an accessory that you add to your life. He becomes an anchor for your life. And so no matter what happens in society and how culture drifts, you're always attached to something that's immovable. And man, there's some security in that. Trust me, there's security when you go, I'm, I'm anchoring my life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords whose truth does not change. And so no matter what happens in Charleston or New York or LA or London, the world can be tossed to and fro, but I'm anchored to something that doesn't move. It's an absolute truth. We are not helping each other when we say, you just live your truth. We need to encourage people to live the truth. And I know that's one one word, but y'all, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And when I think about these mindsets that need to be corrected, listen, I think about Jesus and his disciples. This is not like, we we can bring it modern day and talk about individual stories, but I I think about like um, Simon the Zealot. The scriptures teach us in the New Testament, Simon was a political zealot. Like if he lived today, he'd be promoting like political parties like crazy. And I imagine when he started following Jesus, Jesus was like, you know, Simon was like, Jesus, I really want to put this political sign in my yard. And I imagine Jesus being like, Simon, look, that's not bad. It's not the best thing, right? Don't let that be your highest priority. Yeah, but Jesus, we need to go to this march because if we don't go to this march, we're not going to make as big a difference. And I imagine Jesus going, Simon, look, I'm not about that kingdom. Stop pushing that stuff. I think about Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, who was very wealthy and had a great career. Jesus says, get up from that career and follow me. I imagine Matthew was like, all right, Jesus, but look, I got a 401k. I got the stock market. I got a mortgage. Who's going to pay our bills when we start traveling? I imagine Jesus is going, Matthew, look, that stuff's going to take care of itself. Stop worrying about it so much. Or Peter. Peter was a Jewish man who was incredibly racist, hated Gentiles. We see it in the book of Acts. Even after he became a Christian, he still worked through some of his racism. Could you imagine Jesus, you know, Peter going, look, I don't want to talk to that man. 
And Jesus is going, no, you have to talk to that man. Come on, let me show you how. Let's break down this wall of racism. Or John, John, who was just a good Jewish boy, went to the temple all the time. I imagine John had a difficult time with Jesus reaching out to sinful people, right? Like my mama raised me not to hang out with that type. I shouldn't be around them. And Jesus is going, nope, let's go to the dinner party. Let's sit at Zacchaeus' table and let's have an introduction to a friendship. This is the Jesus that we follow. And my point is, if we've somehow latched onto a faith that doesn't stretch us, tear us at times, make us uncomfortable at times, then maybe we're not really following Jesus the way that he intended. This is a good tension for us to sit in. And perhaps you're here and you're going, look, I don't wanna be uncomfortable. I don't need to be uncomfortable. I'm good. I liked your church before you preached this message. Can I just invite you into a life that maybe does stretch you a little bit, right? Like, like what I would hate to have happen is for you to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus and getting baptized. But for the next 20 to 40 to 50 years, you just attend church without any kind of change. Because nowhere in scripture do we see that happening. You hear us teach it all the time that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, right? That means there's something happening in us. That's the transformation that happens. The, the, the church word, the Bible word for that is called sanctification. Yes, you're saved, that's salvation. But that starts sanctification of becoming like Jesus. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but that's where growth actually happens. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that you call us to a mission that is very uncomfortable at times. Forgive us for the times that we've done things and said things and even believed things that, that make us feel better, but just aren't true when it comes to your word. God, I pray that for every single one of us under the sound of my voice right now, that as we follow you, we would be willing to address those areas of our lives that make us uncomfortable, that we would push back against some of the popular mindsets that somehow make us believe we're, we're okay or we don't need to change or we don't need you. God, I ask that you would just change our hearts and change our minds today and ultimately just lead us to a place of obedience to the people you called us to. God, I love you and I thank you for the example you gave us in Jesus. And it's my hope that everybody listening right now would make a decision to follow him. Church, as we continue praying and every eye's closed, heads are bowed, I know for a fact there's people in this room and watching online who maybe you've heard this message and you've, you've never actually made a decision to start a relationship with God. I want you to know he loves you. He pursued you in sending Jesus to die on a cross for your sins. Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose on the third day. And because of that, you can have a relationship with God. And maybe you're listening right now and you say, look, I, I need to start a relationship with God. I want to follow Jesus. I'm ready for this journey. I need a church community. Listen, if that's you right now, I wanna know who you are so I can pray for you right now. And also we can lead you to some next steps and what that actually looks like. So if you're here and, and you're in the room, if you're online, you can lift some uh, raised hands emojis and our team will reach out to you. But if you're in the room and you would say, I wanna start following Jesus more closely. I want a church community. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Nobody's looking around, but I can see you. Just lift it up as high as you can. I wanna pray for you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Hey, can we just celebrate the decisions taking place? 
in this room. Amen.